just so proud of a man. I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. Today, I had the great pleasure of speaking with a man I met a couple of years ago that has become a good friend of mine, Josh Childress. I asked Josh to come on the podcast because there is a lot going on on the border. There's a lot of news stories being covered down there, and I wanted to get a voice of reason, someone who understands the border, knows how Border Patrol operates, and could shed some light on the events going on down on the southern border. But before we begin, I do have an announcement. I have started going back through old podcast episodes that had sound messed up. Um, I know some of them that I had recorded on my headset on my phone only had sound in one ear. Um, so I'm going back through those and I'm redoing them. I am working on the sound on them and I am trying to get it all situated for everyone so that they are enjoyable and shareable. So don't only share the new episodes. Look for those old episodes being redone. I would also ask rate and review. Five stars is the only amount of stars that is acceptable. And if you would like to donate, paypal.me forward slash Tommy Salmons. If you want to reach out to me, Tommy at libertarianinstitute.org is the best email to reach me at. Or you can find me on Twitter, T. D. Salmons at TD Salmons, I guess. At, 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 at TD Salmons. So, if you need graphic design, RyanBunting.com. Ryan Bunting designed my logo and he designed the cover of my upcoming book. Uh, so, for all of your graphic design needs, go visit RyanBunting.com. And as always, Thank you, Tom Burton, for the music. It is greatly appreciated. Here's the show. I'm here with Joshua Childress. What's going on, buddy? Not much. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's been a busy fucking day. Uh, trying, to, trying to converse with the wife about technical issues with her computer that I do not understand at all. And... Um, then you know dealing with my own shit and i barely understand what i'm doing out here so you know it's just one of those things how about you how's I everything going i have I've, I've got a little bit of the opposite of the problem it's it's spring break and i'm doing the stay-at-home dad thing for now um so you know trying to keep the kids busy trying to keep myself busy i mean it's not like there's any shortage of of shit to do but um just trying to juggle the two and then like making sure I, I get a little, uh, you know, my side projects done as well. So, um, I guess it sounds like I'm busy, but it, it's, you know, nothing ever seems to quite get done the way you want it to. 
doesn't sound like you're busy. It sounds like you need to go fishing. Fishing sounds fucking great. That's, that's what you should be doing with the kids tomorrow is you should get them up at like three in the morning, go out to the lake and, and teach them about fishing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm, I, I mean, Tommy, you know, me, like the only fish I eat is like sushi. So, you know, if I, if I caught a fish in the lake, I'd probably give it to somebody or, or, or toss it back. Yeah. You so, can, re- you can catch a release, you know, if you, if you yeah. catch it's, it's about being out there. It's, uh, you know, yeah. So no, I do miss that, that kind of solitude or that quiet and waiting and, and just kind of, I mean, I think we could probably all use a little bit more of that, that peacefulness in our life right now. You're not lying. You're not lying. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, working my ass off right now to get everything situated at the house between the chicken coop and the gardening and all that. And I'm so excited about the the moment that I'm finished with all of it. So I can actually sit back and just uh, for a second, because I, I mean, I feel like I'm working just as hard when I'm at home as I am when I'm, when I'm on the road, but you know, that's getting ready for the spring and the grow season. You know, that's how it goes every year. Yeah. Yeah. I've finally got some, I mean, Everything I planted this year, except for tomatoes, shit the bed. So right. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting a few tomatoes. Uh, tomatoes are nice and easy. So maybe, you know, next season we can do a little bit better. But uh, you might have, yeah, you, know. you, you might have planted just a little too early. That might have been what it was. So I know, uh, I know I'm worried about like, I'm worried about my beets. I'm worried I might have planted them a little too early. Um, but my wife insisted, no, it's, it's March, March, March. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll go for March. But usually I do this shit in like the very beginning of April, but okay. Yeah. This is my first time ever trying, just listening to all these podcasts about agorism and everything. I'm like, well, shit, I should probably, you know, at least try my hand and, and start to get, get used to it. Cause my dad's been, been doing gardening and, and, and stuff like that for a while now. So I took a little cue from him and tried my hand you know me and me and the boys went out and built a little you know built up bed with some extra bricks that we had and bought some soil and all that and i mean it was it was a good experience just not that fruitful so far yeah no it's a learning experience you know it's just anything else you do you figure it out you live you learn you know yeah but we didn't we didn't get you on here to talk about gardening josh no got you on here to talk about the border crisis and we better get on yeah, track, brought- man, or we'll sit here and bullshit for the next three hours and never accomplish anything. We have a we have a way of doing that, don't we? <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so I sent you um I sent you this video that had gone viral from CNN, and there have been some activists that have been swearing that it was a staged video, it was fake. And I asked you about it. I was like, what what do you think about this? You know, uh, Tim Pool had talked about it. Boogie, please stop. Please stop chewing on me. Uh, Tim Pool had uh, had talked about it on his show, and he was he was saying that he believed it was staged because you'll never see migrants crossing a border by you know getting in a single file line, and they're all wearing clean masks, and some of them were wearing life jackets, and yada yada yada. So I was like, well, I know one guy that would have an idea of what the fuck is going on down on the border. So let me talk to this guy. So that's why I asked you on here. So wh- when you saw that video, what, 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 was there anything that stood out other than that? Uh, anything that stood out that for you that you were like, this is all bullshit. Uh, not really. Um, I mean, 
so the term staged, I mean, you could, you could apply that several different ways. Um, so CNN would have had to gone to uh, probably the, the, the chief of that station to ask permission to go film. And CNN obviously is going to get permission pretty easily. Um, so as far as like being set up and like, you know, that station is going to know exactly where the majority of their crossings happen because all of this stuff happens in patterns. So they know where that stuff's going to happen anyways. So yeah, they probably went and asked permission to, to go film something and, you know, maybe had to wait around until it happened. But these kind of things happen all the time. And when I watched that video, I was like, yeah, that, that was what I spent the last two years of my career in the border patrol doing, mm -hmm. uh, was just watching that stuff happen. And, and there's literally nothing you can do about it. There's, you know, we, we would just watch them come up, you know, for us, we did have one section of river and, you know, we were in the Yuma area, Yuma, Arizona. We had one section of river that we had to watch and, and, you know, we would watch them come across. Uh, but the majority of, uh, of the, the migrants that we saw came down through, through the San Luis area and we would just watch them come over the fence. There's not, you know, we can't just get up on the fence and push them back over. Mm -hmm. And in the same thing with the river, you can't like pop a hole in their boat and make them go back. You can't yeah. even interdict the boat because you're, you're running the risk of causing a drowning. And the last thing any law enforcement agency wants is an international incident. And especially on camera like that, if you've got a camera rolling, you're not going to take any freaking chances, any chances. Yeah. So no, nothing I saw in that video seemed out of the ordinary. Um, and it's not like, so, so it was mostly families, you know, women, fathers and children coming across. So at least in my experience, those type of migrants, they're coming here to claim asylum. So they want to find an agent to turn themselves into. They're not going to try to get away. So it wasn't like there was a risk of, of people absconding or anything like that. They were going to get to the other side, turn themselves in and apply for asylum. Like that's just kind of the way it's, it's, it happens. Yeah. So, so, you know, the fact that, all right. So there were two things that, that they said, uh, that these activists were claiming that I was kind of like, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. You are claiming this, but that, that doesn't mean it's true. And the, one of the things they were claiming was there would be no way that a coyote would be willing to take a raft across the Rio Grande six times in daylight. And then the other thing that they were saying was that that portion of the river south of Hidalgo, Texas, is off limits to anybody except for border patrol. So therefore there was no way that CNN camera crews could get in there. So, so you're saying that probably even if that were the case, then they just probably just got in touch with the station chief and said, Hey, look, we're just trying to capture some footage. We want to see what's going on down here on the border. Is there a hot spot that you could reference us to? And, and they just kind of point them in the direction and say, yeah, you can come right down here. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that, that's kind of a common misconception. Um, we, we would have um, just regular civilians, regular people come down and say, hey, well, we just wanted to see what goes on on the border. And we're like, okay, we'll just kind of keep your distance. And if anything starts happening, just, just stay away, yeah. you know, for, for safety's sake. But I mean, it, it's, it, it's public area. So anybody can go down there. But yeah, media 
generally goes through the procedures. In fact, I, you know, uh, my, in my last couple of years there, I, I brought a friend, one of my old army buddies on a ride along. And all we had to do was go check in at the, um, at the duty desk, show, you know, kind of fill out a little liability form, show his ID. And we went out and like took a little tour. So, I mean, it's, it's not out of the, the realm of possibilities. I was filmed in a truck um, by, I don't know, one of the local PBS stations while I was in and, you know, tried to hide my face as best I could. I didn't want to be recorded personally, mm -hmm. but um, no, it, it's not out of the realm of possibilities for media to be down there. Yeah. Now, now your buddy didn't happen to be uh, a chemistry teacher that found out he had stage four cancer. <laughs> no, no, oh. he was, he was, <laughs> he was actually, um, he's actually a green beret that, uh, um, he and I served in Afghanistan together and we were, we were actually supposed to go to the selection course together, but I went to the border patrol Academy instead of going to selection with him. Um, and then once he made it through all of his training, he, he happened to come down to Yuma for, for free fall school, but no, he was, as far as I know, you know, he was not a, a meth producer of any sort. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure I was, it was, it was starting to sound real familiar there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and as far as uh, the, the coyotes operating in the day like that, yeah, normally the nighttime is, is when coyotes prefer to operate. It's just a little easier, you know, cover of darkness and everything like that. Even though they know that we have night vision capabilities, you know, it's just a little easier to, uh, to operate with, with that, you know, little extra level of, of um you know the the what's the word i'm looking for that that extra advantage of the, that the dark provides you yeah the, um, the cover of night you, yeah but but like i said before i mean there these these folks aren't trying to get away anywhere so i mean so they're the the coyotes are running the risk that some agent may be waiting in the bushes on the other side to jump out and grab them. But all they're going to have to do is jump out of the raft and swim back across. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not going to, I mean, it, it, they've got the upper hand in that case. So, you know, the worst they're going to do is lose a $5 raft to get back and not get apprehended. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, if, if they were trying to, to move some, some migrants that were actually going to try to sneak in and get away, then yeah, they, they, they would be kind of foolish to to try to operate in the daytime just because that's not normally what they do. But with this, they're just moving, you know, to them, this is cargo. They're just moving cargo that doesn't need to get anywhere else. Because a lot of times those coyotes, they will not only get them across the border, but they'll help them get a certain point into, uh, you know, into the interior and kind of point them in a, in a direction before they go back. You know, that's mm -hmm. part of their, their contract or their deal, you know, for the fee that they're paid. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's to me didn't seem the only thing I saw in that video um, was the union guy saying, oh, well, we've never seen anything like this. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like that's, you know, Yuma was second behind Rio Grande Valley, which was where this video took place mm -hmm. in uh you know, unaccompanied minors and, and family groups. So I know they were way busier than we were at, at that time. You know, the, the end of the Bush 
or end of the Obama era, beginning of the Trump era. So him saying, oh, we've never seen anything like this. Shut the fuck up, dude. Like, you're just trying to, you know, you're, you're trying to make the case for, for the TV camera that this is a, you know, some big scary crisis. And it's, it's clearly not. It's something that we've seen for a long time. Yeah, they, I mean, they are saying that the um, the am amount of people that are coming in. Well, are, I've, I, I've read I read a couple of articles just kind of preparing for this. And the the thing you have to do with with the, the corporate media or mainstream media or whatever you want to call them. So the, the wording that, that stuck out to me, it says um, we're experiencing a number of people heading to the border that we haven't seen in 20 years. So they, you know, in their infinite wisdom with, with all their supposed resources, know exactly how many people are heading towards the border. They're not even saying crossings. They said an un unprecedented number of people heading toward the border. So they're speculating at this point. I mean, they're, they're saying that they've done some calculations and they see more than normal people heading to the border. That's not they, because right after that they said, and we've seen a, a an uptick in unaccompanied children crossing the border. So the, you have to be very um, cognizant of the language that they're using because you can read that and just if you think you already know what they're talking about, think, oh well, yeah, we're we've got an unprecedented number of people crossing the border. Well, the the specific language and they I. I personally believe that media organizations use um, vague language like that on purpose because they assume, I mean, I'm sure you've read plenty of articles where the headline says one thing. And then once you read the article, it doesn't quite match exactly what the headline says. Mm -hmm. um, so, that, I mean, that was at least my experience in, in, in reading some of those articles preparing for this. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I, I don't, I'm not super interested in immigration. It's not really my thing. So I haven't read any articles. I've just been paying attention to like people like Tim pool, having a heart attack going, Oh my God, here's what they're saying. Yada, yada. And I'm like, all right, like whatever. I don't Okay. You know? And, and that's why whenever he started saying, well, this was, they're saying this was a, you know, a charade and this was staged and yada, yada, yada. I was like, man, let me, let me get a hold of Josh. Cause I, I don't know what to think about that. Like, it, I, I've never been there. I, I've never seen that. So I don't know. I've never experienced it. But another yeah, thing. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, no, I was just going to reiterate that I, I didn't see anything in there that that looked out of place, untoward, um, just, you know, nothing that that would deviate from my experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that we were we were looking at um when we were chatting is I, I told you about that project Veritas video. Mm -hmm. And so you went and looked at that and you were like, you're like, yeah, that pretty much looks like the facilities that were there when I was working for border patrol. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you have the short term facilities, which is, you know, at, at the station, wherever they're apprehended. When you, so you apprehend them somewhere out in the field, you take some quick information and you, you take them back in and you, you process them at your facility. So your facility is meant to hold people for no longer than 72 hours. That's what the, your average border patrol facility 
is meant to hold for, for at the most 72 hours. Most of the time we would hold people for 12 to 24 hours. But with the, you know, with this big influx of, of families and, and unaccompanied minors, we just got overwhelmed. So yeah, there were, there were times, I mean, there were times where we would hold people, you know, uh, up to a week, sometimes more than a week. Um, if, sometimes if they'd, you know, if they'd have to go to the hospital for something and then when they get back, you know, they'd kind of slip through the cracks and their, their, their case file would get pushed back and pushed back. So sometimes people would spend way more time than, than legally they're supposed to be allowed to. Um, but all those pictures, yeah, like everybody where we were, they were wrapped in those space blankets, those Mylar silver space blankets. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, like every space, like every space on every bench and floor was occupied with a human body. Right. Um, and, you know, we would separate the kids, we would separate the women, uh, keep the families together, separate the, so the, the, the terminology we used was um, the, the family units and the kids were give ups because they would get over and then just try to flag somebody down and try to say, you know, that's, what, that's, that's how they would claim asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of a, a, a misunderstood thing too, um, the, the difference between refugee and asylum. So refugees, you would go to either a, a consulate station in your, your home country and say, hey, the US is invading or the CIA is paying you know, some, some uh, radical group in our area to, to fight their war for them. And I don't feel safe in my country anymore. So can I come to the US as a, as a refugee? And so then they would do your, they would process you right there at the consulate or at a UN station or something like that. And you would get your, your papers pre-stamped, ready to go, and then get your, you know, make your way to the US. So asylum is different. Asylum is kind of, you got to go now, you get up, you go, you leave. And when you get to the border, you apply for asylum there. And the Supreme Court has ruled that making an illegal entry and applying for asylum that way is just as legitimate as going to a port of entry. Um, so the, the optics aren't great for them, you know, for the people applying for asylum, but this is what their coyotes, this is what their, their guides are telling them to do. So what, you know, the, most of these people are paying 10, 15, $20,000 for someone to guide them on this journey up here to apply for asylum. Well, so, and then some of them, I mean, I was just going to say some of them aren't even able to pay the full amount up front. So they're basically end up in this indentured servant, uh, servant kind of situation to where they're beholden right. to the cartels. And so right. they're allowing the cartels to run drugs through their house and things like this. And this is sometimes they end up with criminal records over things like this, that it really, it was, it was there. They were under the threat of death by the cartels. So they, they flee a dangerous situation in order to be put in a semi, what somewhat less dangerous situation, you know, that they have to engage in, in order to, to find a better life for themselves. So it's really like we were talking, it's really one of those situations where you're kind of torn on how do you actually, you know, deal with this? Well, I mean, this, uh, uh, I know that 
a lot of people and even a lot of, you know, quote unquote libertarians or, or anarchists or whatever still seem to have a problem with this. And, and this is something that I wrestled with towards the end of my career and, and the reason why I left. Mm -hmm. But what it comes down to is this is what prohibition creates. Yeah. When it's, it's no different from alcohol prohibition, drug prohibition. This is just the human manifestation of that prohibition. So when you're prohibiting humans from being able to choose where they can live and work, then these are the conditions you're creating. Um, and I, I mean, that's, it, it's, it's not pretty, but that's what it boils down to. Like, it's not an easy question. It's not, an, there's no easy answers, but that's what it boils down to is this is what prohibition creates. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Ryan yesterday, Ryan Bunting, and we were, um, <clears throat> I had told him what you had said about the facilities. And it was like, yeah, this is what they've always looked like. And, you know, and I was like, you know, it's, it's interesting because no matter what you feel about Trump, he is the one who kind of opened the average American's eyes to what was going down on with the facilities. It was only because of his presidency and his talk about the border and then you know, all this that brought attention to these facilities. And, right. um, and, and so it, you, it's kind of interesting because you look at it and it's, as you say, it's prohibition. I mean, this is what government intervention does. You know, this is, this is this really perverse incentive structure that, that the government, the state operates under and they create these hardships that were not initially there and would not be there had, let's say, private property borders been the the uh, you know the uh, law of the land, let so to speak, and and so you, you watch it and then you see that and we, you and I had talked about this and we'll move into this subject, but you see that they're spending like four hundred dollars a night on hotel rooms. For, oh, yeah. for these for some of these immigrants to stay in because these facilities are are so you know full and and overflowing and so now you not only have this perverse you know structure and incentive structure in place but you also have the introduction of of corporatism of cronyism of, of these big corporations get getting favors i mean what kind of what kind of hotels are they staying at that are $400 a night? They're probably not putting them up in some five-star resort, you know, obviously. No, no I'm guessing it's going to be a, a, a Motel 8, but that's the whole thing with, with government contracts is, um, and, and, and maybe the, four, the $400 doesn't go to um, <laughs> exclusively to the hotel. You know, they may be, you know, the, uh, the cost of guards and, uh, food and whatever may be rolled into that price, but the 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 four hundred dollars a night for a hotel that's a tip of the iceberg. Mm. I mean, when uh, towards my last couple of years, we were seeing um, NGOs, non governmental organizations, that were starting up these these facilities with federal money. So these guys are getting multi million dollar contracts. And in fact, one of the places that we used to take kids to was they, they just bought a hotel in Tucson. So this, this non-government organization with government money, with federal money, bought a hotel in Tucson 
renovated it into uh, a holding facility, but it's one of those hotels where all the doors are on the exterior. So it's not on the, you know, it's not like you have hallways so you can just like guard exits. Mm-hmm. All the doors are on the exterior of the, of the hotel. So you don't have a guard for every room. So they were, it was pretty regular that we would go to drop somebody off or drop a group of people off. And the people there would say, hey, uh, we just had some people run away. You know, we checked their rooms and they weren't there anymore. Uh, do you guys want to do anything about that? Like, well, when did this happen? Oh, a couple of days ago. What the fuck do you think we're going to do? Like, <laughs> they're not ankle monitored. They're not chipped. Like, what, what do you think that we are going to, like, our job as Border Patrol agents, we track footprints in the sand for the most part. Like, that's 90% of what we do. Right. The, the cameras, the, the sensors, those are all kind of like nice bells and whistles that can maybe help you in a pinch. But you rely almost entirely on being able to track footprints in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, so what the hell are we supposed to? So we just, just say, okay, well, we'll let, you know, we'll let them know when we get back. Um, but uh, so, I mean, it's, it's been a mess from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't remember if I told you this already, um, but so it, you know, right around 2014, when all this stuff started really picking up, mm-hmm. the way that we dealt with it was we would take them in, you know, we'd, we'd apprehend them from the field, take them in, process their case really quickly. You know, the quickest thing possible, you, you do a notice to appear and then you release them on, on their own recognizance. You take them to a bus stop and you wish them good luck. So they have their court case. They have all their paperwork. They have it in hand. You take them to a bus stop. They figure out how to get where they're going. Mm-hmm. And that was considered inhumane. Right. It was considered inhumane because now you're just setting up a bunch of uh, people out to live on the streets with, with no right. guaranteed place to live. So they wanted... They wanted these facilities built. So these facilities get so, built right. and then the facilities so, get overrun and you know, it's the whole shit yeah. show. Now that's so, inhumane. So, right. So now we're holding these people in these, you know, these are barbaric. I mean, it's, it's all concrete. There's, there's, there's not a soft surface anywhere. It's all concrete and stainless steel. Um, there, there it's the, the rooms are cold. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, the stories about them being called the ice boxes. The rooms are kept cold supposedly i mean some people will say it's for torture reasons um the the reason that was given to me is that bacteria breeds in warmth so you keep the rooms cold so bacteria doesn't grow as fast so well you you could also there's also just the the fact of the matter is is that that many bodies in a small space is going to create some heat right so i mean you want to keep the rooms cold so you can at least like monitor like and keep it at a livable you know temperature yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the torture thing wouldn't surprise me because what the fuck else has our government been up to for, for however long? But, you know, the, the, the bacterial growth thing seems reasonable, at least to me as well. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, it, it, as long as there's, you know, the, the possibility of some thought behind it, I'll, I'll entertain it. I, I don't think everybody in government, you know, whether the outcomes are evil or not, I don't think that everybody in government is necessarily out to, to do harm per se. Um, Most of them are just completely incompetent. Well, no, I think it's, it's 
incompetence part of it, but you got to be fairly intelligent to like navigate the system to even get hired into the government. So um, it's it's the following orders thing. Yeah, well, and there's also the a ton of you got a ton of people that are worried about their paycheck and their pension. And what the fuck are you going to do to upset the apple cart if your paycheck and your pension is on the line? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back or anything, but those, those things just were, were not ever that important to me. Like, yeah, the paycheck was nice. Like it was the most fucking money I've ever made in my life. And I don't have a college degree. So it's not like I have any prospects to make that much money ever again, but those things were just not. Like those were not the reasons I went into that service, but most people that is like most, I think most people that I talked to, they wanted a steady job. They wanted a, a retirement. And so for me, it was, I mean, it was still fucking hard to walk away, really hard to walk away, mm-hmm. but I don't really blame people for not like I had a, you know, I had a, a, a different career before I went. So I had a trade to fall back on, even though it's not what I want to be doing. Um, a lot of people didn't have that. Right. Well, what what I'm what I was saying about the incompetence, it's not I, I wouldn't say it's even the people like in the bureaucracy or the people working for Border Patrol that are incompetent. It's the people that are in government that are passing the laws. And then so oh, you're, yeah. these, these people are passing all these laws and these regulations and this legislation. And then they give the they and then the people that are trying to figure out the, the uh, to solve the problems on the ground have a finite amount of money to carry out the regulation and the legislation that has been passed down to them and they've been ordered to follow so now they're trying to figure out okay what can we do with the finite amount of resources we have that at least somewhat resembles what they're telling us we have to do down here on the ground and it just turns into this complete shit show where you're putting band-aids over bullet wounds over and over and over again. Well, and, and I would add to incompetence, ignorance. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not, so I, I heard, I don't remember where, I, I think it may have been on like the reason podcast and I'm not a, a, a Justin Amash stand by any stretch. Like, yeah, he's better than most on a lot of things, but he's, he's still a beltway politician or he mm-hmm. was at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I remember hearing him talk about like, why is DC the way that it is? And he's like, these people don't spend any time around their constituents. They live in DC most of the time. They're barely ever back in the, the areas where they're supposed to be re- representing. And the only information that they're getting is coming from this cor- these corporate media sources and the intelligence that people in the intelligence community decide to give them. So they don't really have a clear picture of what's going on um, as compared to maybe people like us that are actually interested in, in the reality of what's going on. So you have these people making decisions on our behalf that don't really have any kind of clear picture of what's going on. So, I mean, you can add inco- or ignorance into an incompetence because they're just getting like, force fed this data that they don't really understand. And they say, okay, well, I guess I'll just vote yes on this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and here, you know, I, I've I've heard it said plenty of times and and I, I agree with a lot of people that say this people like you and I, 
well, not necessarily you and I, but people with the same similar ideology, like the more of the anarchist ideology as, as you and I, you know, um, adhere to, or, or at least ponder and think about, will would want to talk a lot in theory and concepts and what should be, and not enough, there's not enough focus on looking at how things actually are and what could actually improve this situation. So I'm under no illusion that tomorrow the, the government is going to give up the rights of the, of the Southern border and allow property owners to make the decisions for themselves, right? They're going to continue to kick people off of little, little portions of their property. And, you know, there's, I think we talked about it the last time you were on, but there was that story about the guy who had, who had bought the property on the river. And he had built his house directly on the river. And then where, when the eminent domain came through, he was trapped on the Mexican side of the wall, as opposed to the American side of the wall. So even though he was on right. American property, American land, then he was actually on the Mexican side of the border wall. And it was like, right. that. Right. that is just, that's totally retarded. So like, we, yeah, getting rid of things like that ultimately is the goal. We don't want people's property being taken from them and, and used for government purposes. We want people to have that kind of authority over their own property, the type of autonomy to take care of themselves. But given the fact that that's not going to happen like that, what can we, what can we rightfully expect that might actually make some sort of, you know, difference in the future? Um, shit. That's a, I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I shouldn't say the word feel because then that, you know, that gets that gets construed as, well, you're not thinking you're feeling. So I think that there are some fairly easy fixes to this. And there are historical, you know, Cato, Alex Narasta at Cato and I mean, David Beer, there's there's a couple of guys at Cato that are doing really, really good work on this kind of stuff. Um, I think it was in the 50s, there was the Bracero program, uh, where basically fucking anybody that showed up to the border and said, I want to work, they said, all right, here's your card, go work. And the Border Patrol's job during that time was to go around these farms, or these, you know, these uh, agricultural areas, and look for people who didn't have their card. And when they'd find them without their card, they'd drive them down to the border, make them get a card, and then drive them back to the farm so they can keep working. Mm -hmm. And illegal immigration dropped by about 90%. Right. And then um, this uh, civil rights hero that we all know so well named Cesar Chavez mm -hmm. put a stop to all that shit. Yeah. The United Farm Workers, Cesar Chavez, said, whoa, 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 whoa. These guys are, are they're getting in the way of union jobs. We can't have that. That's where the term illegal immigrant comes from. Cesar Chavez. Yep. So workers of the world that, unite. Just not those exactly. workers. Right. Right. <laughs> just not the ones that are willing to, you know, do the hard work. Come in. Right. Um, well, and if I'm not mistaken, what, what you're talking about, I just want to, I just want to clarify what, what you're talking about. These people weren't living in the u.s they weren't trying to live in the u.s these were these cards were like day passes right and so they were living in mexico and they were crossing the border daily to come to work 
Is that correct? So I think I think they were allowed to live in the U.S. while they were work while they were working. I don't know. If there there was probably like a time limit on those cards, and then you would have to leave, come back, and and apply again. Okay. Okay. Um, I knew that they weren't but, permanent residents. I remember I remember yeah. hearing the story, and Chavez threw a big fit. Oh well, you can't let Mexicans come take American jobs. You know. Well, but that's so that's a that's a pretty common misconception, and this is something that. I observed while I was a border patrol agent and was, has been backed up by Cato's research and data, mm -hmm. the vast majority of, of the people that we're keeping out don't want to come and stay. And in fact, the, the strict border policy has caused most of the ones that are here now put it, that have roots put down. Most of the, most of the people in the past have wanted to come here, work for a period of time, save up some money, go back to where they actually lived and where they came from, where their families are, and take that money that they earned, or at least some of it, and go back. And when they need more, come back and work again. You know, um, you know what that sounds like? That reminds me of, of this company that was taking employees overseas to Iraq, letting the employees work there for six months, tax-free, and then come back to the United States. And who was that? Oh, what was that company? Halliburton. It was Halliburton. Halliburton. KBR, Brown and Root. Brown and uh, Root. Yeah. 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 No. And see, this isn't a new thing. And this, that's that's my point about it. These roughnecks, these 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 roughnecks that work in the oil field that get all you know flustered about this. Well, a lot of a lot of your boys are doing the same thing, guys. A lot of your boys are going yeah. overseas and taking foreign foreign company uh, foreign jobs from foreigners, you know, making $200,000 a year in, in a six month period, coming back and living for a couple of years and then going back overseas. So that's all these people are trying to do. So here's a, here's, here's maybe a more relatable example than, you know, the, the, the farm workers. Mm -hmm. um, when I, when I was in Afghanistan, one of my buddies there, his plan after we, we, we finished the deployment, he was going to go to, um, Australia and work in a mine for a couple of years. He was going to make something like $235,000 a year to work in a mine. Mm -hmm. I was like, why the hell are they going to pay you that much? I mean, mine, mining works, you know, fairly lucrative now anyways in the U S. So apparently Australia passed a rule that like fucking anybody can go to college for free. So now they've got a whole generation of philosophy majors that don't want to work in a mine. So they've got to, <laughs> they got to ship in people from other countries to go work. So this dude's like, yeah, I just spent a year in Afghanistan going down into a mine every day for a year for 235,000. Like he, he probably didn't make 40,000 in Afghanistan for right. that year Yeah, to go, to go down into a mine after getting fucking shot at and bombed and shelled for a year in Afghanistan, like, yeah, that's easy money comparatively. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's happening everywhere. It's not like the U S is some, some, some special case where, where that's, that's not happening, but like, I, I get, I, I bristle a little bit about the, the jobs Americans won't do. No, mm -hmm. it's jobs Americans won't do for that price. Right. Yeah. Like I'll go, if you pay me my border patrol salary, I'll go work and pick whatever fucking vegetable you want. Like 
I'll I'll go work in the hot sun and I burn easy. Apparently burn, you'll do I'm, it. For, apparently you'll you'll do it for free. Well, <laughs> I, luckily I'm not that good of a grower. So I don't have much to pick, but um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 not it's not jobs Americans won't do. It's jobs that Americans won't do at that price. Well, and there, but the um, reason, but there's a reason for that. All right, so like, and this is what this is why I, the Federal Reserve is so important. You know, it's it's the inflationary policy. It's the inflationary policy that's driven up driven up the the, the price of goods in the United States due to the overabundance of of uh, fiat currency, and then and then you got and then you got this situation where the boomers didn't want their houses to lose to lose value, right? So the basically what happened is the government regulated the cost of housing to go up every year. So, yeah. so it, 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 it keeps the price, it keeps the price of land and housing unnaturally high. So the unnatural cost of living in the United States has created a situation where the average American worker can't afford to do the work for the amount of money that the average Mexican citizen or Honduran that is, that is fleeing a country that they may make like $20 a day where they come here. And I've seen, I've seen companies here in, um, in up in Houston, Texas, that they, they pay their workers $50 a day. And all they do all day long, they change, uh, tractor trailer tires all day long, $50 a day. And that's hard fucking work. You ever fucking try to knock a, well, not even that you're swinging a fucking sledgehammer all day. You're working with pry bars all day. Like that shit. That's some fucking are work. Those, are those uh, tires like, do they have the, sp- uh, the split ring seal? Yeah. Yeah. So we asked, we used to have to do that shit in the army and that was a buddy of mine lost a finger doing that. Oh yeah. 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 On the, on the, on the big convoy trucks. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you're, you're looking at the, the same, same situation. And so, yeah, man, well, it, that's hard work, you, especially, you in, up too. especially when it's 95 degrees and 110% humidity in fucking Houston. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And these guys are making 50 bucks a day and three of them are renting a, a one bedroom apartment, you know, together. Yeah. And so that's how they're surviving. So, and so what are they fleeing? What are, what are the Guatemalans, Hondurans, El Salvadorans, Panamanians. What are these guys fleeing? Well, they're, Why are well, things I mean, so bad there? Yeah, well, things are so bad there because uh, American interventionism on the on the part of American corporations. You know, I talked to um, Josh Collins a while back about about the Amer- the multinational corporations in Colombia running the poor farmers out of business, taking over the marijuana grow market. You know, right. and things like that. I mean, it's just horrible. Like the things that are happening in South America in the name of, in our name, with our tax dollars, yeah. you know, like right. and they're doing it for our well-being, you know, right. it's fucking ridiculous. Well, and installing dictators, uh, fostering, you know, well, our, our drug trade, the drug trade that feeds our country. I mean, that's where the most vicious shit goes down is, is. The, those cartels that that we essentially, you know, through through you, the U.S. interventions and operations in South and Central America, have created the these this this uh, instability with with those cartels having so much power and our prohibition on drugs. How much fucking money could be made by American businesses 
by just legalizing everything. I mean, decrim, obviously, some people prefer decrim. I I simply don't give a shit. Like, legalize decrim, whatever. I'm against the, I'm I'm against the taxation that would come with legalization, but you know what? Paying those taxes for for the uh, ability to buy the product legally is much better than you know victimless you know uh, crimes. You know, like people getting locked right. up for victimless yeah. offenses. I'll, so, like, yeah, you know, I can I'll I can pay make the twenty percent tax if yeah. if people aren't getting chopped to bits in El Salvador and Mexico and right, right, like, yeah, that well, that too. But I'm talking about just the, just the the war on drugs here at home you know right. that that on top of it you know so you're you you would be yeah you would be solving multiple issues around the world not even not only just here at home but yes the in el salvador colombia and all these places but you can also look back what was it a uh, 2018 19 it was 19 2019 when the u.s tried twice failed twice to overthrow the the government of venezuela you know and so, you know, they tried to, they tried to install, uh, you know, Maduro, right? Is that who they tried to install or is that who they tried to overthrow? I think that's who they tried to overthrow. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, so I, absolutely. They're fleeing these situations and a lot of these situations are like, as you were saying earlier, they're more like refugee situations, but they don't understand that. And then there, there is a gang aspects. And, you know, I heard a story about a lady who, whose, you know, brother-in-law wanted her dead and he had been threatening to kill her for years and he came and shot at her and, and she fled. Okay. Like there's shit like that too, you know, but, but there's, there's a lot of strife in these places because of American intervention in the countries. Right. I would say the vast majority. And I mean, strife in American cities because of the drug trade. Yeah. Well, I, like, the war on drugs in general. Yeah. It's caused, right. it's caused so much problems. Not, not only people being locked up, but like the vast majority of gang warfare is over, <laughs> over territory. And that territory has to do with the drug trade. Yeah. It's all about the prohibition that ability away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the, that's one of the biggest pe- things I hear, you know, kind of conservative leaning folks complaining about with with immigration. And I'm like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with immigration. That has to do with drug policy. That's those most of what people complain about, about immigration, which is welfare. For one, you're not even eligible for welfare for the first if you legally come. You're not legally- well, I, I actually, I, I will actually dispute that. And the only reason I have any, any, any grounds to dispute that on, I know that's technically the law. I, I know that's on paper the way it's written, but that's not the way it works. Cause the, the first thing they asked my wife, when we went to apply, to apply for her green card, hadn't even gotten a green card yet. They asked, are you on any kind of assistance? And we said, no. And they looked at us like, are you sure? And it's like, no, we're not on assistance. Like, so, so they, they almost want you to fill it out. They tried to get us to fill out, fill it out right there on the spot. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, as far as the law goes, as, as far as I understand the law, you're nobody's no immigrant is eligible for any kind of public assistance. Um, for like or, three or years or something like that. Five that's, years. Five years. Yeah. Five years. Yeah, yeah. That's how it's written. But I, I, that's operationally, that's just not how it works. Uh, I don't. 
the other thing I, I've I've come to realize, um, and you've you've brought up brought it up a couple of times um, that, that made me think about this. And I know you know conservatives aren't really that um, ideologically consistent, but if they were, and they're the ones that claim to care about the Constitution, you know how many times the Constitution mentions immigration? No, oh, tell me. A couple of times. In the Fourteenth Amendment, a couple of times it says that the um, the federal government has the responsibility to create a uniform naturalization policy, and it also states that if you were born in and subject to the laws of the United States, you are a citizen. So that's the you know that was intended for the slaves, but it does apply to. Um, at first, they tried not to apply it to the Native Americans, and eventually the Supreme Court said that they had to, um, but it now also applies to, um, to immigrants as well. Well, and but, you know, you know who's, who's found that very useful is China, because what's been happening over the few, last few decades are the wealthy Chinese families that are atta uh, attached to the CCP have been coming over here to birth their children, then bringing the children back right. and sending them over here to, to, for college education. And those, those children are actually part of the CCP and working within the, the communist party of China right. and trying to infiltrate the United States. So it's pretty interesting the way that has been used against the United States. Right. I mean, any anything like that, you you try to create these rules thinking you're you're doing the best to protect yourself and somebody's going to find a fucking way around it. So it's either you're going to have totalitarianism, which is, seems to be the, you know, the the uh, cure du jour or, you know, you're, you, you let the market decide, which I yeah. think is what you and I would prefer. Yes. But so so if we're going to follow the Constitution. And the 14th Amendment only says you're able to create a uniform naturalization process and that you're uh, a citizen by being born here. Well, wh where the hell do we get the justification to um, create all these other restrictions and quotas and visa categories and all this? Where does all that come from? It, it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Constitution. And if it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Constitution, what does the 10th Amendment tell us to do? Leave it up the to states. the states. Yep. Right. So the fact that we have a DHS in charge of border policy in the first fucking place is absolutely unconstitutional. I'm not, obviously I'm not a constitutional scholar. I'm a college dropout, mm -hmm. but I can read words. <laughs> um, and I, I, I most of the time know what they mean. So, <laughs> you know, if, if we're going to go, you know, I, I could give really the constitution hasn't really seemed to help us much since they don't give a fuck about the first, second or fourth amendment. Um, you know, it, nobody else seems to really give a shit about it. So why should we, but yeah. if, if we're going to at least have this, this guy is this, this, uh, um, if we're going to pretend like we, we have a constitution, well, where are we getting the justification for all these, these immigration restrictions then give it to the States. Well the, well, the problem, the fact of the matter is, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. And when you look at the Constitution, the one thing I always try to remember is that the Constitution is there to bind the government. 
It is not there to bind the citizens. It is not the law right. uh, that, that holds the citizens accountable. It is the law that binds the federal government. And when you start easing up and allowing the federal government to chip away a little bit at a time into this constitution, eventually it, it is worth nothing more than words on fucking parchment. And that's all right. it is today. That's all it is anymore. It and has I, absolutely I just... zero meaning or power whatsoever it means nothing to anybody anymore unless they can use it to bludgeon their opponents over the head with the words on that paper they don't pay any attention to that fucking paper right and i just made the cardinal sin of inter interchanging we when i'm talking about the government you know yeah, people no. do it all the time yeah. and i try to pay attention to that because i i don't count myself among them like George Carlin said it's a big fucking club and you ain't in it. Right. So I, sh I should no longer say we when I'm talking about something that they are doing. Exactly. But, um, it's, you know, something nope. I do. You're, you know, you're right. On all the time. All right, man. Well, we're running up close to an hour. I'm sweating my ass off. My dog's in here panning. Um, <laughs> what you got any, any final thoughts on, on what we, what we're looking at here on the border and what we should be looking for. Um, would there be any, any thing, any red flags that if we see, then there is an actual problem? Uh, not really. I mean, other than the fact that our president has dementia or whatever is wrong with him, like he's, I, he, he's, so he came out with this, this plan and it's pretty broad and wide, you know, it's, it's very it's a it's a very ambitious plan, and I think what he's trying to do is make up for uh, all the deportations and all of the, the the crackdowns that happened under Obama, and that he's attached to that. I don't think very much of that's going to make it through um, through Congress, just because you know they don't have they, they don't have the 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 supermajority to to get all that stuff through. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I just, I don't see this, these people as a problem, these people, these people that are fleeing these awful situations that our country has created for them. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's a fucked up thing, but it's, it's really all a, a product of the situations and the rules that we that our country, that our government has put into place. Yeah. And they've figured, I, I think I told you before, the, the smugglers know our laws way better than our average citizen does. Mm -hmm. Way better. And so every time they pass a new one, you'll see a little lull in activity. And as soon as they figure out how to circumvent or work around or whatever, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's cameras, sensors, whatever, uh, legislation, they'll take a little break, they'll have a little meeting, and when they figure out a way to to work around it, then they'll come and work around it. And so it doesn't fucking matter what we do. It doesn't matter what our country does. So to me, it just makes sense to recognize that this is a problem that's not going to go away, and let's start dealing with it like adults and figure out, well, what do people want? They want to come work. Okay, let's make it easy the people who are not out here to like just you know i'm not saying that there's no bad actors trying to get across that border but let's make it real fucking easy 
for the good actors to get across and do what they want to do and then go back when they're done. Yeah. Like that's, that's, I mean, it sounds simplistic and I know I say that there's not a lot of simple answers, but like that, that makes just about as much sense as anything else to me. Like, yeah, well, I've told uh, as much as you possibly can. I've tried to tell, I've tried to tell conservative friends of mine, you have much more in common with that illegal dude working on a construction site, doing fucking sheetrock and masonry work than you do with those fuckers in DC. You know, Absolutely. if we want to build a Absolutely. wall, we should build that wall around DC. Luckily they're doing it for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tommy, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, brother. <laughs> I'm going to put it. I'm hey, gonna... If any, if anybody wants to hear more of my ramblings and uh, when I, in the next couple months, when I release my book of short stories, uh, follow me on Twitter at Josh D Childress. Um, that's all I got to plug. I don't do anything else except for fucking hang out with my kids and work and, and that's the life, man. Right. Shit on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That's the life. All right. Well, let me end the recording. I wanted to talk to you about something. Intentions took you to your grave. Your pride is how they killed you with the flag you wave just like a fool. They promised you a mountain, gifted you a stone. They demanded that you throw it into your neighbor's home and then seize all that they worked for. And give it to the throne just like a tool. As we all just stand in line and glorify new ways of being cool. Seems to me humanity is not something that they're teaching us in school. down all around propaganda their pollution they set a cage up on the stage of a side for a solution they build a wall block them all from this mental institution it's insane Say pretty please, it's all a game As we all just stand in line and justify these crimes done in our names Seems to me authority and tyranny are both one and the same Destroy all the rest.
those you want to blame And we'll stack them up like cordwood Watch them sizzle on the flames for good Well as we all just stand in line Waiting for some kind of Robin Hood Until our right to freedom is understood